Brethren and sisters, we welcome you to the podcast and hope you will find joy in listening to the infants this day. Those of you who are here to listen for your own edification, good on you. For those here listening on behalf of deceased persons, what the hell are you thinking? They're dead. They can't hear a damn thing. Or can they? Brethren and sisters, if you are true and faithful to the things you hear in today's episode, the day will come when you probably will rule over everyone, because that's just how we roll. The realization of these blessings is dependent on your ability to stomach the contents of this episode and listen to it all the way to the end and believe everything you hear and be indoctrinated by the infants, placing their scatterbrained thoughts and opinions above all else. Or else, for the infants shall not be mocked. Except when they do it to themselves or when it happens without consequence in any other way. If any of you desire to withdraw rather than press onward with this episode and accept these things of your own free will and choice, then just stop the episode. I mean, it's pretty easy. You just press, press stop. No one's holding a gun to your head. Is infants on thrones? Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion? Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy anything this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone welcome back to infants on thrones i'm glenn ostland and this is episode 718 how to be a happy ex-Mormon. And this is my interview with Lindsay Hyde of the Happy Exmo podcast. It was a really enjoyable conversation. I hope you enjoy it today. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. And here you go. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. It's good to be back with you guys today. I have a great episode again. I get to talk to the most interesting people. This one was super fun. I um, got to talk to Glenn Ostland for today's interview, um, which was a kind of a surreal experience because I've been hearing his voice whispering in my ear for like four years now. Did it sound anything like this, Lindsay? Hmm? Now that is surreal. Because he is a well-known... But is he? I mean, is he really? Mormon podcaster. And so I've listened to him lots of times, but I've never gotten to meet him or really 
you know, got to see him. So it was really fun to be able to talk to him sort of face to face. We did it um, online, obviously, because of the pandemic, but it was just so much fun to be able to talk to him and get his ideas and thoughts and pick his brain a little bit. And it didn't even hurt. It was it was totally fun for me too, Lindsay. And I'll stop inserting now. It's kind of fun, but you know, it could get too old if I keep doing it. So I probably I I, I'll, I probably won't do it anymore. Pro- I mean, probably we'll see. Um, he's someone I really admire. So let me tell you just a bit about him. Um, well, he does introduce himself in the podcast and tell you some cool things about himself. But just so you are aware, he um, used to be on the podcast Mormon Expressions, which is no longer um, like being recorded, but you can still find archives of that. And it's a really, really good one. And then he is one of the original infants on thrones, which, oh, that podcast has been around for quite a while. Um, Also a really fun one, slightly irreverent at times, but um, really fun. (laughs) Um, We're just fun, 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 fun. And then he has also just recently started doing his own podcast called Bathing with God which is also just a really very interesting podcast, um, the way he set it up. I don't want to give too much away, but I highly recommend it, especially if you're like a deep thinker. It just It's really cerebral, but fantastic and so much fun to listen to. Um, so that is Glenn. He also recently started um, doing exactly what I'm doing. We are both actually in the same exact master's program at Grand Canyon University, the um, clinical mental health counseling program. So we're technically classmates. So that's pretty cool. So we're both on the road to being able to help even more people, which is what my goal is. Um, So with that, I am going to turn the time over to my interview with Glenn. Well, hi, Glenn. I'm super excited to meet you, kind of. Virtually, <laughs> and have you here today? Um, so, why don't we just have by start by having you introduce yourself? Um, I would assume personally that most people would know who you are, but you claim to not feel like you're famous. I think you're oh, kind of famous. <laughs> really, I, yes. like that makes me feel so uncomfortable to hear. Oh. It really does. <laughs> well, it really does in a good way. A good famous. Uh, I don't. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> So I, I don't, I don't, yeah, that, that, that word makes me feel really uncomfortable, but I, I've been podcasting in the ex-Mormon space probably since 2009 or 2010. Um, I, I started as a, a panelist on Mormon Expression, did probably, I think I probably did about 30 episodes with them and uh, then started Infants on Thrones with five other guys back in 2012 and they've all gone off to other things, but I've kept it going over the last few years. Um, and it's gone through some changes. You know, it started off, we, we, we liked to think of ourselves as the rowdy guys that sat on the back bench in church and just made fun of everybody and everything. And, but of course, we, we also are deep, thoughtful guys <laughs> that, that would have uh, deep, thoughtful, crude uh, mocking <laughs> satirical conversations and did a lot of fun, creative stuff on infants on thrones. And, uh, yeah, so I'm still doing infants on thrones and I'm doing a, a podcast called bathing with God. Um, and <laughs> about a year and a half ago, I started a podcast called the happy ex Mormon podcast. 
that uh, I don't know. I I, I think I, I got in your way a little bit, didn't I, Lindsay? And, <laughs> Well, I wanted to use the Happy Ex-Mormon, and then when I searched it up, there was already one episode out there of the Happy Ex-Mormon podcast. I'm like, dang it. So I had to go with Happy Exmo, which I do have to usually explain to non-Mormon people. They're like, the what? Exmo? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's fine. It's all good. I like that we both had that idea, though. Yeah. You, you can be a happy ex-Mormon. Well, and it's a play on angry ex-Mormon. Is that, yeah. is that, was that way you thought of it as well? Yeah, totally. Because yeah. I, well, I've met a lot of angry ex-Mormons. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of them go through that stage for sure. Did you? Um, you know, I, I still find myself getting angry occasionally. Yeah. yeah. Um, for instance, actually just recently, oh, I'm sure you saw uh, the little flyer that was passed around at BYU. I mean, that was like a few days ago. No, I don't look at stuff like that anymore. Oh, well, yeah, that's part, you it's, that, that's, part of, that's part of the secret sauce of being a happy ex-Mormon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is because it was that they passed around this flyer that on March 4th, so that would have been yesterday, um, there was going to be some kind of LGBTQ um, showing. I don't know what they were. People were going to dress in rainbow colors or something at BYU campus. And then yeah. this flyer was encouraging people to wear BYU garb and carry umbrellas in protest of the LGBTQ situation on campus. And I have three of my kids or identify as LGBTQ. I don't, that just, mm. it, I was livid when I saw that. So for the most part, I'm totally fine and happy and good, but then every once in a while something will trigger me and I just get irate yeah. and then I calm down. So I, I did see the, uh, the why Yes, the the little rainbow treatment on it. Yeah, you know that was a reaction to this flyer, I think, which I loved. That that made me happy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's 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 in a it's in a process of change. It's in a process of of flux, and it's going to take. I don't know how long it's going to take for uh, everybody to wake up and just be accepting and 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 to love one another the way that the the scriptures tell us to. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, eventually it'll happen. So I, like I, I, yeah, I, it's not that I don't get upset when I see things like that, but that it doesn't surprise me. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of expect it. I, and I, and I also really understand it. Like I, I understand that the people that are wanting to put up, you know, like uh, they're anti-LGBTQs. That they're not really anti-LGBTQ. They're like pro-Mormon, and they just think that they have to, you know, like if the the leaders have drawn the line in the sand, and they don't really understand. But you know, so I I, I guess I make up all kinds of stories to uh, excuse them and forgive them for the ignorance. Um, but well, I, I, think, I see the trend and trajectory and I, I'm I'm happy with the direction that it's going. Yeah, for sure. And I do think for me, it's easier. Like when I think of individuals I know that are still in the church, I know that they aren't hateful people. Yeah. It's just, it's so easy to think of like the church is like a big, huge group of someone you can be mad at. Yeah. But the individuals I know aren't that way. So, I mean, I, you know, it's easier when I think about it that way. Yeah. Yeah, and and the 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 church in that kind of sense is a symbol that we project our own stuff onto. Yeah, and so being able to see how do I like what what are the things that trigger me, whether it's the church or it's anything like that, because what's what's being triggered, what what is actually going on 
when I'm being triggered. I've got something inside of me that is making me feel really uncomfortable. What is that? Like, I'm so much more interested in those internal questions about like the mind and the heart and the fictions that we create and, and how that colors our experience of the world. And it's not outside. It's, it's inside. Yeah. And, and that's become so much more interesting to me than smacking down articles on LDS.org or things like that, that we used to do on infants on thrones (laughs) with a lot of fun and gusto and relish. Um, But uh, yeah, it's, it's those, those inner questions, like what, what is it that's informing my experience of reality and how much control do I have over it? Yeah, that's, that's something to me. I it's fascinating and something I I am continually working on because yeah. I tend to be a control freak. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Do you, do you know your enneagram type? Um, you know, I haven't taken it in a while, but I think I'm a one. Yeah, that's that's what I would say if somebody's saying that they're a control freak is yeah. just that perfectionistic. Yes. Things need to be in the right order, and yeah, in order to feel comfortable. All yeah. of the ducks have to be in. A, all of the eyes have to be crossed. The T's have to be dotted. Whoa! I just mixed that up. Ah! Yeah. Right. Oh, that's so me. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the best. It's it's just been interesting. I've been talking to a coach about it lately. Like I need to. He'll be like, "Well, what if what if you let go of control? What would happen?" I'm like, "I can't do that. Like that's mm. not even an option. Like I'm yeah. just really like." What does that even mean to let go of control? Well, I know because it's an illusion, right? I really don't have control over much of anything. Yeah. But the idea of it, like I, I have to be in charge of everything and I have to have control and otherwise the whole world will turn to utter chaos and I can't live in chaos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Except that we do. Yeah. 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 I'm working on it. <laughs> so you actually, I think you've been out of the church quite a long time. Is that correct? I think so. Um, the the last, you know, I, I moved to Tokyo in 2007 with my now ex-wife and our three kids. And we were there from 2007 to 2010. And I used that as an excuse to stop going to church on a regular basis. I We, we lived within walking distance of the, the Tokyo temple and the, the stake center that was there and the, the expat ward that we were in, I, I would go to sacrament meeting and then I would walk home. And then when my ex-wife became the primary president, I said, why don't you make me our daughter's a primary teacher? Cause she was, you know, it was the seven year olds. They're getting ready to turn eight and get baptized. And I thought, yeah, I'd, I'd like to be in control of the messaging <laughs> that oh, they're yeah. getting there. And, and so I, I, uh, th- then I started attending full but I wouldn't go to priesthood. I, I couldn't, I couldn't sit there in elders quorum and hear the stories. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been, I've been out since then. I never did resign. Um, and when my son turned eight in 2012, I baptized him. Uh, even though I wasn't active in the church at the time, my bishop allowed me to perform the baptism, but I wasn't allowed to do the the confirmation. Um, but I was able to stand in the circle. I know it was it was kind of weird, but my bishop was cool, letting me be involved. You know, it, it it's one of those hard things where um, I, I was divorced at that point, and my ex wife and her family are very. Um, you know, my my ex wife's kind of a mystery to me on on where she is with the church, actually, but. Uh, it was really important to her family and it was, it was 
just a source of tension, you know, like you feel this, am I being looked at as less than because I'm not the one that is voicing the blessing, giving my son the Holy Ghost. I'm just part of it, you know. So having to struggle with that egoic sense of pride, you know, like those those pieces of it. But uh, yeah, so I, I've been I've been out of the church for many years. Um, I'm interested in why the bishop would say that you were worthy enough to baptize him and stand in the circle, but not say the thing, or was it not a worthy thing? Cause that's it, just weird. That it's it's part of the arbitrary structure of the priesthood where some ordinances are governed by the Aaronic priesthood and other ordinances are governed by the Melchizedek priesthood. And um, so with the Aaronic priesthood, it was okay. But the Melchizedek priesthood, I wasn't worthy. <laughs> like, well, silly, I was, like I was, stand in the circle. You have to have the I know, Melchizedek. I know, I know. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't okay. make any sense. But Why am I trying to figure it out? Well, that's, <laughs> well, that was cool, I guess, for your son then, that, that you were there for that. The coolest thing about my son, he's, he's 17 now. Um, he's never been ordained to the priesthood. And that's his choice. Mm-hmm. He just, he just didn't like when, when he turned 12 and the other kids, his age, he's like, no, I'm not interested. No, I'm not interested the whole way through. And his grandfather was Bishop. And uh, yeah, so he, he, he's a, he's a tough, strong willed guy who would not be putting up umbrellas to try and protest <laughs> LGBTQ stuff. I'll tell you that none of my kids would. So. Yeah. That's awesome. I kind of like, well, I shouldn't say kind of, I like raising my kids out of the church so much more. Yeah. For so many reasons. Yeah. Um, I think about my oldest who has this, well, actually three of mine have a severe anxiety disorder. And it used to just terrify me to think of my oldest having to bless the sacrament because that, mm. or give a talk, but especially for some reason, the sacrament, because, because, you know, if they mess up at all, then they have to do it over. And it's just so like, oh, my gosh, I was yeah. just so nervous about that for him. And I'm sure yeah. he was, too. So just like things, little things like that, that there's not that pressure. Yeah. It's a relief. Yeah. And my my two oldest are girls, uh, my, my, my two daughters and then my son. And they were so happy to not have to go to church anymore because they they also identify as LGBTQ. It, it, at least sympathetic. I mean, they've kind of gone back and forth about like they, they care about the person more than, you know, their gender, um, which is just such a different thing from when I was growing up, but it's cool. And they had such a hard time trying to go and toe the line and especially going to girls camp and being taught. Like when we get together, they still talk about these horrible messages that they got at girls camp about, you know, your job is to stay worthy for a husband and then be a good mom. And that just, yeah, they, they, they were happy to not have to, to try and fit into the, that's that too funny because one of the thing, I mean, there was a few things that really pushed me over the edge, but they gave me a calling to be a girls camp leader. And I was like, I, I cannot do that. Like I had been in nursery. I'm like, I can, I can sail through nursery and not mess anything up. But I was like, I cannot go to girls camp and be like rah, rah cheerleader for the church. And that, that finally just pushed me over. I'm like, I, I can't, I'm done. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So um, what, what made you decide to get into like the podcasting space, I guess? Uh, fate, Lindsay. I think it was just <laughs> fate. I think that's, I think it's my destiny to become famous as a podcaster in the <laughs> world. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, 
I was traveling a lot for work and I, th this is back in 2007, 2000. I don't remember exactly when it was, but I was flying a lot, um, going back and forth to Tokyo, going other places for work. And I really liked listening to talk radio. Um, but I had gotten so tired of listening to like Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh. I just like, no, I, I, I'm not interested in those guys anymore. I wish there was something that was Mormon centric. And I found um, Mormon stories and started listening to a couple of John DeLynn stuff. And so, and then I reached out to him and I'm like, I want to come. I've, I'm, I'm studying folklore and I could talk about the lost tribes of Israel, or I could talk about uh, Mormon humor, uh, which was my dissertation topic at the time. And I didn't hear anything from, from John. And then I found the Mormon expression podcast. And, and I, again, I reached out to John Larson and John was super cool. He responded back. He's like, okay, yeah. Um, let's do one on Mormon humor. And uh, I, I was so nervous. <laughs> I remember being on with, with, with John and Zilpha and Tom and, and George is the name he went by and just being so nervous. Cause I'd been listening to these guys all the time and then, okay, they're just normal people. And uh, I just, I loved it. I, I, I had, I had been in school to become a professor of folklore and mythology. And then I left that, midway through writing my dissertation for this opportunity to work for this medical device company and travel around and go back to Tokyo and things like that. So podcasting kind of scratched the itch of teaching a little bit because I, I, I loved, I loved having a classroom of students. I loved putting together a syllabus and sharing with them, um, you know, things that I was interested in opening up their eyes to things that they maybe weren't aware of before. I, I focused a lot on Mormon kind of folklore as, as well, even though I was in Indiana and there are hardly any Mormons around, but there's been a lot of scholarship around Mormon folklore. Um, so I, I just saw podcast as a way to scratch that itch that I had, I had left academia, I'd left teaching, but here was a way that I could still have an outlet. And I had done things like podcasting even before podcasting was a thing. You know, when, when I was a when I was on my mission in the early nineties, I would record tapes instead of writing letters and send That's them home. Cool. And, you know, I, as a hobby, I would write screenplays and I started a website that was a collection of uh, missionary folklore that was like late nineties, early two thousands. And, you know, so I was, I was dabbling around with this. And then when I saw, Oh, podcasting is something that it's pretty easy to do. It's pretty fun. And getting a group of people like that, that group, with with Mormon expression was so fun, like getting on having conversations with John and Zilpha and Tom and all the guests that they'd bring on and Mike Tannehill and oh my gosh we'd laugh so much and <laughs> and learn so much and uh, yeah it was just really a joy and and it was a great way to to process my leaving of the church because I came into it around this time like I told you I was kind of semi active in Tokyo that's when I was doing the Mormon expression stuff really. And there's one episode in particular that I remember of Mormon Expression where we were reviewing DNC 132 mm. about polygamy. And I read it maybe for the first time in my life as we were doing the pot. In fact, there were a couple of times on the podcast where we we're like reading verses and I'm like, wait, it says something like if, if you're given 10 virgins and the, it, it says that it still <laughs> says that they haven't taken that out. 
And so I'm like struggling and grappling with this stuff in real time. Uh, yeah. So that's why I got interested in podcasting. It just was um, really fulfilling for me in a lot of different ways. Oh, that's so cool. So I have so many thoughts. Um, I came into the whole ex-Mormon scene way after Mormon expressions and actually just found out the other day that you can go onto like John Larson's website mm-hmm. and find them. Cause I'd looked for them because everyone's telling me about it, how great it was. And I couldn't ever yeah. find them. So there's also a server. There, there's also a server called red ninjas red and, ninjas. and red ninjas took every single Mormon expression episode and cataloged them. And, and so they're available there too. I, I don't think that, I don't remember if John has put all of them up or not, but, you can you can find stuff at Red Ninjas, but okay. you know who wants to have to go digging for podcasts that are ten years old? You know, I mean, but they're good. The ones I've there listened are, there to are some, are fantastic. They're, they're, they were fantastic. It was, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mormon that, expression yeah. was special. It yeah, was really special. it seems like yeah. it was. I yeah. I missed that time. Yeah. Um, that's funny too that you mentioned DNC one thirty two because I remember on my mission I had for some reason. I had like one companion almost the entire time. Um, well, I was a Spanish-speaking missionary in California, and there just weren't mm. a lot of girls that were doing that, so we just didn't switch up a whole lot. Since she was a convert, she had joined the church and come on a mission a year later. So she she had a great testimony, and she was like on fire, but she didn't know a ton of the doctrine. So I remember reading 130. I don't even know why we were reading that. I'm sure that wasn't part of companionship study normally to be reading DNC 132, but yeah. we were reading that. And I remember her asking me all these questions. I'm like, well, I'm sure that it just means like, I remember trying to explain it to her. And I'm like, you know, I don't really understand that either. We'll just kind yeah. of figure that out later. Yeah. But yeah. It really does say that stuff. Yeah, and it became so clear to me that the the term "new and everlasting covenant" means something different today than it did when they first introduced that term. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it was like "new and everlasting covenant" was polygamy, um, but now it's just celestial marriage. Yeah. But of course, celestial marriage back then was polygamy too. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Polygamy has always been a sticking point for me. Yeah. Well, um. So do you still have that folklore, Mormon folklore site? Is that still around? No, oh, hell no. <laughs> oh, bummer. That sounds like it'd be so interesting. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if someone were to Google, uh, I think I, I did D. Glenn Oslin because my first name is Dow. I, I think I did D. Glenn Oslin's Mormon folklore. I, there, there might be some cached sites some, someplace where you could find some of the things, but it was, it was written stories. Um, People would share their stories from their mission. There was a big page on the French mission oh, apostasy that was really, really interesting. I that, bet that was a lot so of people sent in because there were people that actually lived through it. And wow. yeah, so there, there, there was there was some cool stuff on there, but it just I, I don't remember. Oh no, I do remember why I stopped doing it. It's <laughs> it's because I had aspirations to teach at BYU. And I started to recognize, oh, this is going, this is taking me in a direction that isn't supporting the faith narratives of the church, you know, like these faith promoting stories. This is, this is unraveling the, the, the fictional nature of all of this stuff. And that's going to be frowned on. So I probably ought to distance myself from it. Yeah. that's, That's why I stopped doing that. I, well, that's so interesting. So do you still have like copies of stories that people sent you and stuff? You know, if you were really interested in it, I, I probably in an old 
computer folder have copies of it someplace i could look and send it to you if you were i am really fascinated wanting. i think that'd okay. be so interesting i think yeah. you should publish them and make a book i think that'd be so cool <laughs> well maybe maybe um the, byu has an incredible folklore archive um i think it's called the william a wilson folklore archive now he was the he was the professor that um turned me onto folklore when i was at byu and i worked for him for two years in that folklore archive oh, cool. cataloging the missionary experiences that that he had been collecting since 1961 or 1963 he just has this massive collection of mormon folklore um and they're still doing it i think so anybody who has access that you might even be able to find it online there's there's just there's so much stuff that's there but it's okay yeah no you go i was gonna say (laughs) what so what is technically the definition of folklore (laughs) well uh lore is wisdom and the folklorist would say well we, it's it's not just wisdom but that's kind of originally if i remember right where it came from and folk is a, a group of people so it's folklore studies traditional culture and tradition is defined as something that's been passed down from person to person um through space and time and it exists in multiple variations and you usually can't find a single author of this. It's something that was kind of created by like this term communal recreation as part of folklore studies. It's just that these are the stories that exist in the culture. And it's not just stories. It could be customs. It could Uh be clothing. It can be recipes and food. It can be songs and music or even musical instruments, or it can be, different tools that are created to do different things. It's, it's any kind of traditional knowledge that's passed down from person to person and exists in multiple variation. And it it was a really diverse field of study. And I, I just was interested in Mormon folklore. So that's really where I focused, but I, I had classes on like belief and worldview and it just, I loved it. Oh, (laughs) I think it sounds great. Yeah. I love it. And like 25 years after I get my bachelor's, I keep finding things. I'm like, well, I should have learned about that. Dang it. I just need to go back to school yet again. (laughs) That sounds so interesting. I think one of the things that it did for me, you know, like I, I, I often have this sense that I see things differently than many people, maybe not everybody, but, and, and the way that I trained myself during those years. And when I was in my twenties and I was in graduate school learning about the fundamental building blocks of culture and human experience and the role that tradition plays and how these things are all fabrications and they're all symbols. You know, that there was a, I think this was in my beliefs class, but there, there was a book that we read. I think it's called, Oh, and I've got it right here. It's simulacra and simulation. Um, look by, by Jean Baudier, <laughs> a French philosopher. And it's, it's pretty dense, but the basic idea of it is that everything is a symbol. Everything in our world is a symbol. The words that we're using, they're symbols. Like the word water isn't really water. It's just symbolizing water. Mm-hmm. And, and what happens in religions especially is that religious symbolism becomes confused for the thing that it's symbolizing. So um, I'll, I'll give you an example. The, the very last time that I went through the temple... This is kind of a funny story. I I was sitting, you know, you've got your packet of stuff. It's before you put on your clothes. And 
I, I never knew where to put that packet. Do I like rest it on my lap? Do I, you know, I'd like to cross my legs sometimes. And so I was sitting on the end. So I just put it on the floor next to me. And I hear this guy behind <laughs> me go, <clears throat> I'm like, what? And I turn it and this like old guy is like super upset with me. He's like, get that off, get that off the ground. You know, like, but trying to be reverent about it. <laughs> and it really bothered me because <laughs> th- this was in the Mesa temple and it's on the second floor. And I, I was thinking, now, what is this thing in his mind that makes me think that putting this packet on the floor is somehow defiling something? It's somehow disrespecting something. This, this is carpet that's in the temple of the Lord. It's probably super clean. They probably do a really good job. It's not making any of this stuff dirty. Plus, it's elevated off the ground itself. It's on the second story, so it's not touching the ground. But why would the ground even make something like defiling. What is it about this guy? Like, what does he have in his mind that makes him think that me setting this stuff down on the ground is defiling God? And that just bothered me the entire time. But, but so that's an example of him being confused about a symbol. Like this is, this is, it's just like a little baker's hat and a green apron and a cloth and a sash. And so, you know, like it's not, God. <laughs> it's yeah. not faith. It's, you know, like it, anyway, so there, there's so much of that, that I started recognizing in the church that he, we're playing around with these symbols, but we're treating these symbols as if they're real things that could actually be defiled. And if somebody defiles them, it's almost like I'm defiling their personal identity or their personal self-worth because it gets so um, inter- <laughs> yeah interwoven and it's a symbol so <laughs> so yeah I, I i started seeing things like that um in my 20s and um i that, i just kind of look at the world that way now and i don't think that very many people do yeah no i agree with you but i think that i think that comes through like in your podcast and in um just interacting with you that you're an extremely thoughtful person and i wonder if that's Part of it is just the way you see the world is a little different than than most of us. Maybe, but I think I've also had a lot of. Uh, I, I I want to be a thoughtful person. I I, I want to be a, a kind person, even though I know that I'm not always. I am much more now than I used to be. I'm, I'm much more aware of it and and trying to be, um, in instead of trying to be right. <laughs> that's that's like been a big thing for me and and going like going through graduate school the first time because i'm i'm in it again now but it was it was so much about like oh make sure that you do everything in an apa format and you've got the right stuff and you're quoting people the right way and you know you're building a foundation upon these great minds that have gone before you and and all this stuff that may it was almost like a competition to see who could out do somebody else with their intellectual abilities and who who can be right and who's wrong and you get points if you're right and you lose points if you're wrong and it it took a lot of life experience for me to have that chipped off and to go nah I, I don't I don't want to be like that. and I don't even think that that's a correct way of viewing the world because I think everybody's experience really is a very valid subjective experience, even though my experience of living life doesn't match up lock and step with your experience of living life. So mm-hmm. do I want to be somebody that thinks so? Because you're different than me, then you're wrong. 
and you're bad and I'm better. Well, I was on that path for a long time and I didn't, I, I recognized that I didn't want to be on that path. And so I, I, I jumped off and I tried to blow up the bridge behind me. <laughs> yeah. So when, thank you. Thank you for saying oh, that. that well, it sounds like I'm thoughtful and you are like, it's very <laughs> obvious to me. Yeah. Uh, I love listening to your podcast for that reason. Um, so when you first left and especially when you guys started infants on thrones, you mentioned that you were kind of like the sitting on the back row of church, yeah. which is like so funny. Cause that sounds like a very good description of infants on thrones to me. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I've explained it to people as being a little more on the irreverent side and I yeah. wouldn't ever, you know, think that members of the church would feel comfortable listening to it. Um, <laughs> what was your belief about religion or God or anything at that time of your life? At that time of my life, religion or God or anything. That's, that's a big question, Lindsay. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I um I saw I saw religion as being a system of symbols, you know. I mean, I I had come out of um my studies as folklore, you know, like I I I left the folklore program in 2004 and started Infants on Thrones in 2012. So there was a a a lot of time in between and I I was pretty well um the, the way that I saw the world was pretty well established at that point as being a system of symbols. And I recognized those symbols in religion. And so you've got these stories, you've got these traditions and customs and beliefs and, um, and, and that it's a way it, that it functions in very valuable ways, like teaching people how to get along with each other. Like if you want to be part of this group, here's the things that you do. If you don't want to be part of this th group, well, here's some things you can do too. <laughs> you know? um, it, and it, it, it gives those kinds of cautionary tales. Um, it creates an incredible uh, sense of group uni unity and support. Um, that I, I'm, I'm running through my mind. There's a guy named William Bascom that came up with four main functions of folklore. And I just said two of them. I can't remember what the other two are off the top of my head. So I lose points, but <laughs> I, I saw religion as being that system of uh, just kind of traditional wisdom and a, a folk group in Mormons that are a high context folk group that have a lot of common beliefs and lexicon symbols. Uh, what did I think about God? I thought God is one of these symbols and everybody who thinks that they understand what God is, is wrong. I mean, that's not what God is. Like, I don't really know what God is. I don't know if there is a God. Um, I, I was really influenced by Richard Dawkins, the God delusion where he's got a scale in there. That's the agnostic scale from one to seven, where one is like absolute certainty that there is a God seven is absolute certainty that there's not a God. And then it kind of meets in the middle at uh, four, I guess of, um, you know, just like ambivalence. And I found that I was a six on that scale that I, I thought that it was highly uncertain that there was a God. Um, and that if, if, uh, I, I don't live my life in any way to try to please this thing called God. That was the part of that definition of six that really made me go with that one because I, I recognized I'm not, I'm not living my life right now the way that I used to thinking that 
somebody's keeping track of if I'm being naughty or nice in that sense and that there's yeah. punishments in that sense. So that, that, that's where I was with it at the beginning of Infants on Thrones. But I, I, it, it wasn't very long, maybe a few years into the podcast, I was given the nickname, the TBM Whisperer, <laughs> because I, I would get tired of the echo chambering of just bashing on how stupid Mormons are. And like, I understood that when something comes to you through tradition, you just accept it as the truth, you know? So like, wh- how can you, how can you really think that somebody's stupid when they're doing exactly the same kinds of things that we're all doing? Mm-hmm. And so I would, I would intentionally take the other side. And so I would do that with God, with the ideas of God a lot as well. And to think there's, I think that there's something there, there's, there's definitely something there's obviously something, but what, what is that thing? And can you call it God or not? Um, so I, I, and, and then the, the other thing about when I started Infants on Thrones with these friends of mine, we all started it together. I don't want it to seem like I started it, but um, I, I was secretly, <laughs> somewhat secretly having a lot of fun with this psychic friend of mine that, that I, I had been introduced to through Mormon expression voices. I had interviewed her and her husband and then started having conversations with her. And I, I talked about, I, I did a Mormons on mushrooms podcast a, a month or two ago. I talked about this a little bit and shared some clips. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. And the one and, where you were like, is that where you were like channeling Joseph Smith? Is that the same one? That was that episode, yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh, that was so cool. Okay, good. <laughs> I loved that. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. It's kind of weird, but it, it yeah. It, so I, I spent a lot of time asking her questions about like, okay, if we're gonna play in this game where like, you're a psychic, and I like, so tell me, what are souls? What is God? Like, what's this all about? And we had some really interesting conversations and. And at one point she, she was talking about the idea of God in a way. And she goes, it's actually much more like the atheists think. And then she got really discouraged. Like for the rest of the hour, there's just like, oh, that, that surprised me that I said that. Like, is that possible? Could that be, I'm just so discouraged. It was, it was a really interesting experience, but so I, I was open to um, exploring different views of who or what God is, who or what even like psychics are, um, who or what this experience of life is, who I am, how I fit in all of this. So that, that was always going on behind the scenes. And sometimes like there were a couple of episodes of Infants on Thrones where I played interviews that I'd done with her. Like there was one where she channeled Emma Smith and that was an interesting episode. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll have to find that one. That's really cool. <laughs> Because the one where seriously, when you channeled Joseph Smith, that was, that was really cool. Yeah. I, I thought that was so cool. Okay. No, okay. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's so cool. One thing I've loved um, being out as well is the ability to feel free to explore different ideas that were so off limits for so long. Um, so like t- talking to a psychic, I feel like that would have even been like, oh, no, 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 we don't, we don't do that. Well, but the, but like all of the other infants on the podcast were, were taking that stance, you know, especially Randy, <laughs> you know, um, uh, 
are like, why are you talking to a psychic? You know, that, that was, that was one of the, the beefs between John Larson and I was like, why are you talking to us? Why are you doing this with a psychic? You know? So it's not, it's not just that there's like limits and boundaries inside of Mormonism. Like you've got groups of ex Mormons as well oh. that are like, Oh no, we're, we are drawing the line right here and you cannot cross that. So yeah, there might be, there might be more freedom. But I think anytime you associate yourself with a group, there is going to be some kind of group definition and group dynamic that they mm-hmm. say, here's what's okay to be part of our group. Here's what's not okay to be part of our group. And yeah. Anyway, I didn't mean to derail you. You were talking no, about the no. freedom of, of not Well, being no, I think, no, I just, I was actually thinking a lot of, I, I don't know. I think a lot about spirituality. I think yeah. a lot of ex-Mormons go so the opposite direction and so atheist. And that's why I love the Mormons on mushroom guys too, because yeah. it's like they said when, in, when they did a podcast with me, they said, we should reclaim the term spirituality. Like that's okay. And I'm like, I like that. Like it's, yeah. um, but I was thinking the other day about my patriarchal blessing, which is kind of random to be thinking about that. But there were some things that he said in there that were just like so freaking spot on about yeah. me that there's no way he could have known that. So I'm like, it's just fun to think back. Like, what, well, what was that? Was that like, did he, was he a psychic or did he have some sort of intuition about me? Or it's just fun to rethink what that could mean or what it could be, or if it's just a weird fluke, but I don't really think that either. I don't what, know. What do you, th- what do you think? I, well, I see, I do. I don't, I don't know what I believe about God. Like, I certainly don't believe in God, the, the Mormon God. That's not what I believe. I, but I believe there's something. So if it's a higher power, or I believe that maybe we're all connected in some way. And so I do believe that he could have somehow been feeling something from me. Because he, he was saying stuff about my personality, like that I'm, he, he used the phrase, you have an insatiable thirst for knowledge. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, it's kind of a random thing to say about a stranger. There's no way he would have known that. And that's so accurate about me among other things that he said. So I think, I think maybe, you know, I, I, he was channeling something somehow he read that. I think, I don't know how, but I do think we're all connected or there's just something there. I, for me, there is something there that he tapped into. I've been, I've been reading a book recently called inner size. Oh, Do I have that one here too? Size. No, I don't. <laughs> um, in, inner size. It's a play on the word exercise. Uh-huh. And it's the author is John Asaroff. And I think the subtitle is how to unlock the secret powers of your brain or something like that. It's, it's, it's a very scientifically sound uh, description of what's going on in our brains, what our brains are, um, why it's so hard to change behaviors like what behavior is what habits are um and it all goes back you know like in one of the first chapters it says okay so you see this period on the paper right here how small this thing is inside of your brain there are hundreds of thousands of neurons that fit inside of that and like there's there's more neurons inside of our brain than there are like stars in the sky or you know like whatever (laughs) kind like you just can't even imagine and and these neurons are communicating with each other all the time you don't know it you're not aware of it it's happening so quickly that you, but it's what gives rise to our every experience that we have every, every thought that we think every, every move everything is all these neurons inside of our 
our brain. So it's part of our nervous system. And there's the conscious part that we're aware of. And then there's the subconscious part that we're not aware of. And the subconscious part is the biggest by far, 90, 95% of what's going on and what our brain's doing. And so I, I, I've been thinking about this idea of what, what is part of us that's outside of our conscious experience. And I think there, there must be like part of our evolved nervous system. Like, you know, if you're sitting in a room and you're alone, but you can kind of get a sense, like maybe your husband has snuck into the room because he wants to sneak up behind you and like give you a little surprise or something like that. Right. <laughs> but you kind of get like, wait, something's going on. Like, what is that? It isn't, yeah. isn't it possible that you have this nervous system that is aware, just like when, just like seeing things, hearing things, you know, that it can kind of feel things in the space around you, but it's more of a subconscious thing that then kind of like bubbles up or whatever you want to say into your consciousness in ways that we don't really understand. It's certainly not as clearly as just being able to open up your eyes and see what's in front of you. But so it, it, it makes me think it, it, that it's possible for there to be such things as psychic phenomenon or just like if, if you're around somebody and you kind of get a sense of what mood they're in, mm-hmm. you know, m- maybe it's these, these micro cute, you know, like micro expressions in their body that you're reading and interpreting it that way. I mean, I, I think that's definitely a part of it, but I think that there might be other things, uh, other ways that we sense the world around us. Like I, I listened to a podcast episode a couple of years ago and I forget who, Oh, it's Russell Brand. It was his podcast. And he was interviewing somebody about um, the senses. He's like, are there more than five senses? He's like, oh, absolutely. There's more than five senses, like a sense of equilibrium, a sense of time. You know, like if we didn't have the sense of equilibrium in our ear, we wouldn't be able to, to stand. We'd be falling down all the time, you know? So, but this is a sense, but we don't, it's so, uh, um, we, we just don't think about it, mm-hmm. you know? So, so yeah. we don't include it as one of the five senses. Um, but yeah, so I think, I think there definitely is more stuff going on than what we're able to really understand. And, uh, yeah, so, so your patriarch being able to pick up on something about you that, that you're in this place where I'm assuming that when you sat there, you really wanted to know more about yourself. You wanted to know if there is a God, which you really believed in at the time. Yeah. What does God want from me? What is the blueprint for my life that I'm going to get in this patriarchal blessing? And that you were really hoping that you would get something like that. And he really sincerely wanted to give you something like that. So maybe there was something where he was able to quote unquote read on you and get some kind of a sense that, Oh, this is a person who has an insatiable curiosity for knowledge or whatever the yeah. wording was. Well, so now I'm curious because you <laughs> as a former priesthood holder probably gave lots Still a of blessings. Holder. I oh, never, that's right. I that's never, right. you didn't resign. <laughs> I resigned. Well, I never was a priesthood holder anyway, obviously. Um, in the blessings you get, did you ever have experiences where you felt like words were given to you? Oh, all the time. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But, but I mean, I have that experience now. Like mm-hmm. if, if you really think about as you're sitting here and we're having this conversation, where are your words coming from? Are they given to you? Are yeah. you creating them? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So, so I, I was, I was conditioned to expect that when I laid my hands on somebody's head um, and I paused that there would be impressions that would come to me and to pay attention to those impressions and to give them. And so that was what I did. And it, yeah, it felt like 
I'm, I'm getting these impressions. These words are coming to me, but I don't think that it's that different from a non-priesthood holder <laughs> or mm-hmm. anybody else who, you know, we, we get these impressions. And again, that the subconscious part of our mind is happening so rapidly, so quickly that it just seems to emerge from nowhere, but it's emerging from somewhere. And there is some kind of a, a, a process that's going on that's giving rise to these things. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> no, that's so interesting. I just think it's so interesting. Yeah, I do too. Um, I had an experience. So when I first uh, got divorced and my bachelor's degree turned out to be completely worthless, <laughs> I um, had to work a lot of different jobs. And one of them was cleaning houses. Mm. And um, this company I worked for sent me to this house out in the woods. I actually shared this on my blog because it was so crazy to me. So I went to this house out in the woods. I had a trainee with me. And we walked in the house and I immediately got the worst feeling I have ever had of just like, so as a Mormon, I would have said, that's the spirit telling me to get out of Dodge like now, but I couldn't, I had to clean this house and it was this single weird guy living in the woods. And so I, I even told my trainee, I'm like, we've got to do this fast. Like I've got to get out of here. I texted my, was my boyfriend at the time. I'm like, this is the address I'm at. I was that freaked out. I'm like, get me if I don't like, it was horrible. I went back to the office and said, I will never clean that house again. And they're like, oh, he's harmless. I'm like, I'm never going there. Cause the feeling was so palpable. And so I've thought a lot that, you know, again, that could be that some kind of subconscious was telling me this man is a murderer. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it it could be. I you know like I I tend to think that things like that have much more to do with you and what you're carrying around in your mind. Like you knew oh. that you were out in the middle of nowhere. Maybe you had seen that movie. What was the cabin or something like that? I forget. <laughs> there was some horror movie that my kids showed me years ago where they're out in a cabin. And it's, um, you know, like the thing things that we carry around and because our and any any new experience that we ever have, our subconscious mind compares it to all similar past experiences like that, and then communicates something to us in the form of a feeling, uh, like this is either dangerous or you know whatever. So my my guess is that that had more to do with what you were carrying around. But I I certainly wouldn't wouldn't think that uh, or, or what's the right way of saying this. It wouldn't surprise me if there were more things that you were sensing and that your subconscious mind was processing than just what you were consciously aware of. Mm -hmm. And so could there be like some kinds of dark energies from weird things that he had done that are lingering around that you're feeling, you're picking up on and you're like, oh, this is creepy. Yeah, okay. Maybe there could be something like that too. Was the person that you were with, were they feeling it too? Yeah. They said they didn't. Yeah. 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 So who knows? Yeah. It was interesting, especially, you know, from the point of view that I was then at, I'm like, I don't even, I don't believe in like sin anymore. I think there is evil. I think people can be evil, but I don't know. It was interesting. Yeah. So, um, so you have recently started on a new kind of life direction. Do you want to tell us, um, what you're doing now? Oh, with, with life coaching. Yeah. Well, I know that's not that recent, but. Yeah, well, it's it's fairly recent, I, I, and especially like really trying to build it is is recent. Um, I, I I got the certification about a year and a half ago, and to 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 do it. Do you know who Alan Cohen is? 
Have I asked you that? Mm-mm, I don't know. A- Alan, Alan Cohen, he's, he's an author. He's written like 27 books. He was associated with Hay House for a oh, long okay. time. And um, I don't, are, are you familiar with The Course in Miracles? Yeah, yeah. So he, he wrote a book called A Course in Miracles Made Easy. Oh, I need that book. It's <laughs> great, yeah. Because that is not an easy book to read. No, it's not an easy book to read. But he, he distills the main principles down very, very nicely. And um, so I, I met him uh, nearly two years ago because my, my partner is a life coach who studied under him and she was getting an advanced life coaching certificate with him. And I was impressed with him. And I liked what Cammie, my partner, was, was doing with, with life coaching. It, it was an area where that, that I had been really critical of life coaches in the ex-Mormon space previous to that. You know, it was just something that I thought uh, people were being opportunistic trying to prey upon the pain and trauma of others. And, you know, if, if you really want to do that, go to school and get, get, get a life, you know, become a therapist or something like that. Don't, don't be a life coach. And also my mom had been a life coach or maybe she still is. I don't know if she calls herself a life coach and my siblings and I had always like (laughs) ridiculed her behind her back and sometimes in front of her face. And it wasn't very nice of us, but so I, I had to eat some major crow. (laughs) <laughs> and and it was in the time in my life where I was uh, I, I had a particular taste for crow, and um, yeah, so I so I, I I did the certification and and it it was maybe nine months I don't remember exactly how long it was, and there was a requirement to coach four or five people each month and and do reports and and get evaluated and that sort of thing. So I, I advertised on the podcast on Infants on Thrones that I was looking for volunteers, and and I. I did that, but I wasn't really trying to build it as a business. And when I got the certificate, I, the, the, the people that had stuck around from being volunteers, I continued to coach, but I wasn't really out looking for uh, new clients. So that, that is more of a recent thing that I'm doing because the, the job that I had uh, in January went away and like, okay, so I'd need to do something to, to earn money. And yeah, maybe I can offer this as a service that'll be valuable to people. Let's give it a shot. So I'm, I'm about, two months maybe into that experiment and we'll see how viable it is. <laughs> I don't know. But, um, but I did decide to go back to school to get a master's degree and uh, become a, a licensed therapist in the state of Arizona. So I'm on a, what, what is it? Cause you, you, we're in the same program. Yeah. So I think it'll be what, like a three like, year, two, two, two years of schooling school and, then, and then like some, some internships afterwards and yeah. evaluating, you know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's, and, and th- there have been many times in my life where I've thought that'd be fun to be like a psychiatrist or to be a therapist or, you know, like to sit, cause I, I like talking with people. I like hearing their stories. I like helping them when I can, where I can. And um, yeah, so, so that, that's, that's the new thing that I'm doing. <laughs> Well, I love your honesty in, in admitting that you kind of thought life coaches were um, taking advantage of people potentially. Yeah. Because I can see that for sure, especially since there's no regulation in the industry. So anyone yeah. can call themselves a life coach. Right. Um, you and I both went through certification processes, which is yeah. important. Um, but I love that we're both now moving on into the therapy world only because I think for me, coaching has opened my eyes so much 
I knew there was a lot of pain in this yeah. space of people leaving. Um, but I didn't realize how much and how deep it really goes. Yeah. Um, so I'm just so excited to be able to offer the reason I want to be a therapist is to get more skill sets so I can help people because they need help. There's so many people that are hurting. And and I want to get health insurance. So there's that. That'll be nice too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'd, I'd like, I'd like to be able to do it as like a a proper job to, you know, to, to be part of a, a group that's, that's doing it. And, um, yeah, the, the, the thing that I've really liked about life coaching is especially the clients that are are really open to it, you know, because, because and I'm sure you've had this experience too. Like some people, I think they want me to solve their problems for them. Yes. It's like I, I can't, and I, and I, I can't tell you what to do and I'm not going to tell you what to do. You know, what, one of the ways that like my, my certification is, is holistic life coach training. And I don't know if that word holistic means anything to, to you or anybody or any, anything in the industry, but, but what it meant to Alan, the way that he taught us, it, one of the first things he said is if you give advice to people, your tongue's going to fall out of your mouth. You know, like <laughs> you're not here to tell people what yeah. to do. You're not here to try and force your belief system or your views onto somebody else. Um, you're here to be a, a, a mirror to them and to, to, to encourage them, to, to, sh- to give them a view of themselves that they wouldn't have if they didn't have this experience with you. And, and that can be something that is really guided towards what the client wants, or it could be something where we're just having conversations and that's all that it is. And so it, it's really up to who this client is. And, and the ones that I've had that are really interested in finding out more about who they like finding out their blind spots, like uh, understanding this principle of confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. You go, okay. Yeah. I have certain beliefs and expectations that are shaping my experience of the world. And there are some experiences that I'm having in this world that I'm not happy with. What does that say about my beliefs and expectations about, you know, like when, when they're really willing to go in. And I, I think that Th- those those are my favorite um, experiences there, but but it's it's not it's not all of them. It's not everybody. Yeah, and I think that I don't know. I guess I didn't really understand what life coaching was until I really you know got into it. Obviously, but from my own personal experience working with coaches, because we had to coach each other a lot in my um, certification yeah. program as well. It, I think that that idea of someone showing you a mirror to yourself is like so invaluable. And I don't think people yeah. realize how cool that is. Like, right. Because we all do have massive blind spots that we're just yeah. like so oblivious to. And when someone literally, they're just saying back to you what you just said to them. Right. And you're like, I, I just said that seriously. Yeah. Like, wow, it's so cool. Yeah. And, and I, I think we get so used to j- just our regular conversational style with people is they start telling you a story about themselves and then you, you tell them a story about you uh-huh. and then they tell you another story about them. And there, there <laughs> might be some things that are kind of related, but it's, it's, you know, and, and if, if you're like me, a lot of times you'll be like, okay, when can this person, when is this person going to shut up so that I can share my thing? You know? And again, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's something that I don't think I do as much as I, as I used to. And, and so it seemed, it, it was really hard to, to step out of those rhythms 
mm-hmm. and to say, okay, when when I'm having this conversation with the client, I'm not just going to go, okay, now here's my thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, all right, here's what I'm hearing from you and really give them back what they just heard w- without being obnoxious about it. <laughs> you know, Cause I think yeah. there's, I think there's a skill to restating instead of just like word for word for word for word. Like yeah. I want to show you that I really understand what you're saying as well, not just parroting the words back to you, but, but that's, that it's it's an interruption to our regular ways of communicating i think at least the, what was regular and what was normal for me mm-hmm. and i think that's that value that you're talking about of of having somebody mirror back to you wait did i did i really say that well that, <laughs> yeah. do, do i really think that yeah 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 it's really cool um and you recently uh put out an infant's podcast where you were like coaching someone live. Yeah. Well, I guess it wasn't live live, but you recorded yeah, a not, session. Yeah. Yeah. And we've, we've recorded four at this point. We're going to do a fifth one next week and I've published the first two already. Um, and um, he's one of those guys that uh, he, you know, like you remember when you were a missionary and you're like golden investigator, yes. <laughs> he's, he's like a golden client because he just, he, he really wants to understand himself better. And he, and more than any, he, he just wants peace. He doesn't want, he doesn't want these triggered things that we started off talking about today. He mm-hmm. recognizes he still gets triggered and he's still pretty fresh um, out of the church. His, his parents still don't know. And oh, wow. so we're having these conversations now about like, how, what's that impact on your life when you're having to conceal this part of yourself because of this fear that you have yeah. from your parents. And, you're doing this to yourself. <laughs> you're, you're creating this tension for you, even though, uh, you know, he's doing it out of love for his parents. He doesn't want to hurt them. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this has been a really cool experience. And his, his name's Reed Christensen, really brave, vulnerable guy who's willing to do this. I, I haven't had any other clients that I've worked with who have been interested in uh, sharing this with other people. I mean, I haven't yeah. asked a ton of people. That's not really what it's about. But the the reason I did it is because I knew that I had the, that that I had previously had this pejorative view towards life coaches, mm-hmm. and I wanted I wanted to show people like here's here's what. So if I'm talking to you on the podcast and saying, hey, by the way, I'm a life coach. Why don't you contact me if you're interested in life coaching? What does that even mean? Yeah. But but now you can listen to it and hopefully empathize with parts of Reed's story and say, Oh yeah, I would actually like to have an experience like that or no, thank you. I'll just listen. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that it will lead to, you know, other business, you know, I mean, trying to grow this as a business, that's for sure. But also other opportunities. I'm going to start doing some group coaching as well. um, In addition to one-on-one coaching and and uh yeah so so you listen did you listen to, you, I listened you listen to the, the first one the first one i didn't yeah. realize the second one was out yet so yeah yeah that's yeah. really cool i don't i know that none of my clients would want to do that yeah right that's really how, great how did it compare so like compare notes life coach to life coach um my my style compared to yours and how you were 
I think uh, I think you're a phenomenal life coach. I'll say that. Uh, I really, again, well, it goes back to that. You're just really thoughtful, and you're clearly listening to him very carefully. Mm. And um, so I hear you saying that I'm being very thoughtful, and I'm clearly <laughs> listening to him. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really, really good. Um, it's different too. I think a lot of a lot of my clients, faith transitions, kind of part of it, but. Um, yeah. It's not usually the main thing that we're talking about. Right. It it but I, I've I've had like I've had some really interesting conundrums that people bring to me. That they're they this this pretzel of their life that they've created and they're tied up in knots over. And it doesn't always have to do with the uh, with with the faith crisis, but but it usually is underlying it in some way. There yes. there's some yes. there's something under and 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 maybe it's because the reason that they're familiar with me in the first place is through the faith crisis and the ex Mormon podcasting. And so that's always underneath it, but yeah, it is interesting to to see what people want to focus on. Yeah. And it's funny when you say that people come with these conundrums, because when I first started, I'd be like, Oh my gosh, I don't yeah. know. I don't yeah. know how to fix that. But then I'm like, Oh yeah, but I don't have to fix it. I just yeah. need to help them find their own answers within themselves. So yeah which is a relief to me because I'm like, I don't know. Like, yeah. Don't ask me. That's a yeah, mess. I, I have this, I have this plaque that I was given one of when my class of, of students that were getting the life coaching certification, there were 25 of us and seven of them were from India, which is really, really cool to interact yeah. with them. And, and one of them just out of his own loving heart created these, plaques and sent one to each one of us. So I've got this plaque on my desk that says coach Glenn. And this, I, I think this is called the healer's prayer and it's something out of a course of miracles, but it says, I'm here only to be truly helpful. I'm here to respect him who sent me. I do not have to worry about what to say or what to do because he who sent me will direct me. I am content to be wherever he wishes, knowing he goes there with me. I will be healed as I let him teach me to heal. <laughs> and if you can get past all of the <laughs> patriarchal hymns <laughs> in there towards, towards God or even the idea of God, it's, it's a really beautiful idea saying, like, like you just said, I don't know how to solve this problem. Oh, I don't have to. Mm -hmm. I just have to reflect back to this what person, what they're saying the problem is what they're saying is going on in the situation. And, and every single time I do that, they see, they, they walk away seeing things that they hadn't seen before and they have a little bit more clarity maybe not a solution, but they, they understand it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> That's I, awesome. I, I didn't, I didn't keep, I, I didn't think about all of the <laughs> male God nuanced aspects of that thing before I read it. And now I feel oh, stupid. Oh, well, no, I like it. Okay. Um, <laughs> so if people want to get a hold of you and um, have you potentially coach them, how do they find you? Uh, infants on thrones at gmail.com. They could e email me there or my email address, DG Ostland at gmail.com. But infants on thrones is probably the easiest okay. way um, to do it. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, um, do you want to talk a little bit about bathing with God too? Do you? I do. Yeah, if you have time. I've got time. I've got plenty of time, okay. Lindsay. Okay, cool. 
Yeah. So tell us about that. Cause that's really, really cool. I love the way you've done that. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. So I, I wrote a book and I self published it in August of 2020. It's called bathing with God. And it's, um, it, it, it's kind of like my own internal thought processes around these questions of God and existence and, you know, trying to redefine, t- take this symbol, God, and, and I'm asking my, what, what does it mean to me? What does it mean to me? And I, I do it in the style of, um, Neil Donald Walsh's conversations with God, where mm-hmm. it is kind of like this back and forth dialogue between a person and God, which mine isn't God. It's a character named Quad, which is kind of like a quantum realm God, but it's really just the imagination of the person who's, you know, the atheist that's soaking in a bathtub. Um, so yeah. And I, and I've turned it into a podcast that, um, I'm having a lot of fun with, I, I, I release an episode a week pretty much in this and they're all short. They're like 10 to 15 minutes long, but with some pretty heady topics. And, and what's fun is that listeners have started recording their questions to me. Like I've, I've had people ask me questions like an email or something like that. And then I'll turn that into an episode. But, um, these last two weeks I've had, um, listeners actually record it on their phones and send it into me, which is a lot of fun because yeah. then it becomes a, a back and forth between me as a content creator and the the listeners who are listening to it. And I, I love that. I, I, I love that dialogue, that back and forth exchange. So, so this last one was about chaos and order and time and the nature of reality. And you know, <laughs> so I'm just like playing with these different ideas um, because I, I, I love listening to, to Sam Harris and, uh, you know, when he tackles these questions about consciousness and, and, and religion and things that I, I, uh, I, I, I don't always agree with his approach on things, but I know that I've got way more to learn from him than I could ever, um, you know, disagree with. But so, yeah, bathing with God is, is just a, a creative outlet for exploring some of those questions. Like, what is God? What is consciousness? What's the point of all of this? What's really going on? Um, if everything is a fiction, <laughs> which is one of my main claims in that book, what does that mean for living life? Um, and by the way, if you're interested in that idea, there's a professor at, what is it, university? You, you University of California, Berkeley, I think his name's Donald Hoffman, that he wrote a book called The Case Against Reality. I've been listening to a couple podcasts recently with him on it. He was on Sam Harris a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. And his, his, his claim was so close to what I was saying in Bathing with God that I, I it just was really validating <laughs> that, <laughs> oh, that he's saying, cool. you know, like everything that we experience of reality is just our own experience of reality. It's, it's like a... It's like the desktop on your computer. Um, it's not actually what reality is. In fact, it's it's masking what reality is. It's hiding what reality actually is. So what would reality be if we were able to see it through or, or not through this user interface that is our minds and our imagination? Anyway, I could go really deep with this, Lindsay, but that, that, that's no. the kind of stuff that I like with bathing with God, playing in those, yeah. swimming in those waters. I love that. But sometimes I I think like, do you ever not think super deep? Like you're always such a deep thinker. Do you ever get like exhausted? 
mentally exhausted. <laughs> Do I ever get mentally exhausted? I don't, I don't it's it's weird because I don't feel like the deep stuff is the res- <laughs> this is going to sound so weird. I don't feel like it's the result of any kind of strenuous thought processes. Like I'm not struggling to put things together. I I just and I've always been this way since I was a kid. Like you know t- talking about those impressions that come to you. Like just these these impressions and like Oh, I think that this is what it is. So it's it's more exhausting to try to uh, express in words mm. the those impressions that that come to me in those those kind around those areas. But no, it's it's um, it's not exhausting. It's energizing. It's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, so much oh, I fun. love I love the podcast. I I um I haven't read it as a book, but I've been listening to the podcast. But like yeah. after a couple of episodes, I'm like I I cannot wrap my brain around some of the stuff he's saying. Like I yeah. feel like I have too finite of a mind to comprehend everything that you're talking about. Yeah, and I and I think that's I I think that's probably um goes back to just the the habits of thought and the habits of attention that I've been creating in my own mind ever since I was a graduate student studying tradition. And, you know, like I, I said something earlier, like the, the building blocks of culture and our experience of reality, you know, the, the way that, so I've been thinking about these kinds of things for so long that it just I don't think that it's hard for me to wrap my head around them when they come, but if it was some, but like if you bring up a topic that I'm not well-versed in and that I haven't spent a lot of time in, then I'm going to have that kind of like, what? I don't under, I don't get it. I haven't, yeah. I haven't been able to put those pieces together yet. And there's tons of stuff out there with me like that. Yeah. That makes um, sense. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, I highly recommend bathing with God and infants on thrones. And oh, if you can you. find Mormon expressions, <laughs> yeah. red ninjas to find that one. Yeah. yeah. How, how's your podcast going? It's going good. I I love talking to people. I'm just like you. I love hearing people's stories and yeah. I love seeing the different places that people land after yeah. they leave the church. Um because it's just all over the place. But again, and, and do you attract people that are interested in being a happy exmo? Um I hope so. I don't know. I don't know yeah. the type of people that even listen. I'm not really sure. So t- t- do you ever do like, because like, I love doing listener surveys and stuff to just oh. find out who my listeners are. No, how do you do? I don't even know how to do that. <laughs> oh, I'll send you a link after. Okay. But I, I mean, I it's a subscribe service. I think I pay five bucks a month or something to be able to uh-huh. use these quizzes and stuff. And so I, I do them every once in a while. Um, oh, that's a good but idea. Yeah, but yeah, just just having surveys and, you know, not, not everybody's going to take the time to fill out a survey, but it's always yeah. nice to get feedback. I, I like getting feedback from my yeah. listeners. Yeah. So, yeah, so too. what, what, why do you do happy Exmo? Like what, 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 what would you say is the, if you had to kind of boil down what you want people to take away from your podcast, what would it be? I think mainly, um, I just, I've seen so many people right coming out of the church or out of divorce or out of some majorly difficult situation. And I remember how I was, I was, I was absolutely reeling. I felt like I had no ground to stand on. My entire life had crumbled around me and I didn't know even where to go. And happiness seemed like not really 
an op, not even an option. It was like not even on my radar. I was just like in survival mode. Um, and I just see so many people in that space initially feeling like they've lost everything. And so I want people to understand that you have the power within yourself to create the life that you want. And you can be and have a happy ex-Mormon and you can be a happy divorce person and you can go through all kinds of crap in your life and you can still find happiness, but that it's, it's kind of up to you to push past the angry phase or the, you know, victim phase or whatever phase you might be in and, and seek happiness and find it. So, do, do you ever have people push back on you with that and say, Oh, you're just burying your head in the sand. You're just ignoring things, you know, like, no, but maybe it's because I pick the guests and they're all really nice people. I don't know. <laughs> I don't mean guests. I, I, I'm, oh, I mean and, like um, other listeners or if you get criticized from other people in the ex-Mormon community at large. No, I, I haven't, but I, you know, I don't think my podcast is very well known. Hmm. Um, most of the pushback I've gotten is from members of the church because I, hmm. I do try to keep it really hopefully safe for both groups. Cause I do really want to build bridges too. Yeah. I think there needs to be this huge divide between members and ex Mormons. Um, so I've gotten pushback from them, you know, maybe disagreeing with the way I phrased things and stuff, mm. but yeah, I try really hard to be fair. That's yeah. important to me and respectful. So, so if, if I'm in a situation, Lindsay, where I've just been triggered by something and I'm, angry, or maybe I'm feeling depressed. Uh, maybe I'm feeling a lot of guilt about something, but I want to be happy. What do I need to do to get to be happy? Well, I do think uh, you have to sit in those emotions. Like I don't believe in pushing away anger or, you know, denying that you're depressed. You know, I think that you need to let yourself feel emotions and wade through them rather than try to like jump over them. I think that's really important. And I think I think growing up, I tended to, and maybe that's a real Mormon thing, is to, to just push aside the negative, just pretend it's not there, push it aside. And I don't think that's a healthy way to process emotion at all. So I do think you need to let yourself feel it. Um, there's a book, oh, I have so many books too. I think it's called, I think it's The Happiness Advantage. That might be the one. But it talks about that everyone has a baseline level of happiness. Hmm. Um, or unhappiness. I mean, whatever you have a baseline level and then it's scientifically proven. You can increase your baseline level, but you're always going to have ups and downs. Um, but if you, if you can get your baseline level higher, then your downs won't be as low and your highs will be higher. So I believe, you know, there's little tiny things like, well, not tiny, but meditation for instance is proven to, to increase your levels of peace and calm and serenity and happiness. Yeah. So you can do little things like that, but I don't believe in denying the fact that you have negative emotions because we all do. Yeah. When, when we started talking and, and you asked me if I was, uh, you, you told me about the thing that triggered you with BYU, that letter that went around. And I said, yeah, I don't, I don't pay attention to that stuff anymore. My own inner critical voice said, oh, cause you're just burying your head in the sand, Glenn. You don't, <sighs> you don't care about these issues. You don't care about these people. And, and I call it my inner critical voice, but it's really Tom Perry. that's <laughs> imprinted on, on my, that's in there. Um, fellow infant Tom Perry. And um, so, so that, that's a constant struggle that I have. What, 
sitting with those emotions versus feeding them. Mm. I think that's, I think that's a, a, a really difficult line to figure out. And I think it starts with yes. awareness. Like so, some, something has triggered me, you know, like, so am I, am I going to go onto Reddit and find all of these other horrible things? And I just keep feeding it and feeding it mm-hmm. and feeding it and feeding it and feeding it and feeding it, and feeding it versus yeah, I'm sitting there and I'm going to let it pass when it's ready to pass. But then I'm not going to go and re-scrape yes. the wound, you know, and just keep scratching at it. I'm going to let it scab and heal over and 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 focus on things that are going to to elevate me rather than bring me down. But I I I think going like leaving the church for a lot of people, it's such a lonely thing to do that finding the communities around it. And then I think one, one of the unfortunate side effects of finding that community, I think is the re injuring those wounds and mm-hmm. the, like, I'm, I'm going to feed this anger. And like, there's whole communities that are built around this anger identity and whole yes. communities that are built around the, the the grief and the being the victim and you know like you never want to go in and tell a victim just ah oh, just let it go just get over it stop being such a victim yeah <laughs> but if you want if you if you don't want to be a victim anymore changing the way that you see things changing the way that you it's that's crazy so those those are things that maybe we're going to learn how to do a little bit better uh, yeah. as we get our training on yeah uh, this clinical mental health clinical mental health counselors counseling Sounds so fancy masters of science that we're earning um i thought of something when you were talking just now i heard just yesterday and i need to research this because i just heard it on a podcast but i she said the actual emotion of anger if you were triggered and you like time the wave of emotion it was like 90 seconds or something yeah, right that is so short but it's just like you said it's most of us aren't willing to give that up. Let it pass 90 seconds. You're good. No, 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 no. Like you're just yeah. like pushing to continue to like stoke the fire of that anger. Yeah. So I think that's, yeah, it's awareness of that, letting it ride for 90 seconds or whatever. And then being, yeah. then letting well, it go. I, and I think anger can be so empowering. And if, mm-hmm. if, if you've been in this really apathetic, despondent, depressed, grief stricken state where you just kind of don't want to do anything, you know, you know, and then anger stirs you up to start doing stuff. I think there's a real value mm-hmm. in that, but then I, I think it could also become an addiction because I, I think that anger becomes um, like almost cannibalistic. <laughs> so, so, you, you know, there, there's the us versus them thing that's going on and we're the good ones and they're the bad ones. They're the ones that we can be angry about. And then we just build up this habit of like being angry, being angry, being angry. And then when that other person goes, we need somebody else to be angry at. So then we look in within the group and the, oh, these people are not quite lock and step with me. So now we're going to be angry at them. And it just like, kind of like whittling away this cannibalistic thing. Yeah. I, th- that's how I picture anger. If it's w- like this fire that just is just ripping through and just destroying anything rather than the the, the value of having a nice controlled fire. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. you know? um, but I don't know. I, I don't, a- anybody who's, who's in a state of anger, I don't want to be judging them for it either. Uh, there's always valid reasons for yeah. it, but there, but, but the, 
the empowerment that comes through like a, 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 a neutral sense of being like genuinely being okay with however things go, with mm-hmm. however, however life is, I'm going to be okay with it. My experience is that that has been such a better feeling than the times where I was really angry and feeling like I was a victim for any number of reasons that I could talk about in, in, in my life. So yeah. that, that, that's, that's been a huge change for, for me um, o- over the years, f- trying, trying to find peace and love and joy rather than the anger and the pride and the grief and the apathy and all these things that, that I was in for such a long time. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's like the best way to live. I like to live in peace and joy and love for sure. So, and and when those things come up to know, to, to, to feel them experience. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I still, I still get triggered from time to time and I let it, let it ride. Yeah. And I try to move on. Yeah. Cause if, cause if then you start feeling like, Oh, I did it bad again, then you're like feeling <laughs> guilty and shame and the cycle starts going back. Oh man, I'm such a terrible, I should have known better. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I like to end my podcast with a question cause I just love hearing all the different answers. Right. What do you think the purpose of life is? Uh, to, to, uh, create. Create anything create who and what you are okay and like whatever you create is an extension of of you and it's your imprint on the fabric of reality and we can't help but we we can't help but be creators every single thought is a creation you know every single every single emotion is a creation Uh, this this goes back to a recent bathing with god episode where i was picturing like the, the space next to me in this room, it looks like it's empty, right? Well, it's not, it's filled with atoms and, you know, hair molecules and things like that. And if I walk over, I'm taking whatever I'm carrying and creating inside of my body and I'm moving that into that spot. So I'm like constantly interacting with whatever the fabric of reality is. I'm creating something, that feeling of anger or that feeling of peace or that feeling of love and joy. It, it wouldn't be in this space that I'm sitting if I wasn't sitting here doing it. So like I'm constantly creating something. Now I become aware of that. What do I want to create? What, what impact do I want to make? Just first and foremost on my own physiology and that includes my mental state of being, emotional state of being, my physical state of being. And then how do I want that to influence people around me? So it, it's, it's, I think that the purpose of life is to create and to, I think that, that men are that they might have joy <laughs> and the worth of a soul is great. And where much is given, much is required. Or, you know, I could like start <laughs> quoting all these things. And I think that char- love and charity are the greatest gifts of all. And charity never faileth and suffereth long and seeketh not her own, is not puffed up, blah, 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 blah. You must have gone to seminary. I, I, I won a few scripture mastery. Uh, I was a regional scripture chase champion. I just oh, scripture chase. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. scripture chase. Yeah. <laughs> Well, as as a one, you probably would have beat me because I'm a seven on the Enneagram and I just like <laughs> to have fun. So, <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Yeah, Glenn. Thanks this for has having been me on. Really, me. really interesting. And I like now want to learn more about Mormon folklore. Honestly, that just sounded yeah. so interesting to me. Yeah, so. there's some really interesting stuff. I, I it, look up on being human, the folklore of Mormon missionaries by okay. William A. Wilson. It's a really good article, and and uh, as a, as a former missionary yourself, you'll probably recognize a lot of yourself. Yeah, that'll be cool. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, that's all I have for you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lindsay. See you later. You're welcome. Bye. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Lay down the weapons that you use against the world. We don't need another war. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Ashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes. And take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts flow past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on such a night. Choosing love when I pick up this mic. So